Hey y'all, Darius Rucker here. You know, a lot of people ask me, what inspires your music? And one of the big things is a strong sense of place. That's why I love my home state of South Carolina and want to share the awesome things it has to offer. From the beautiful mountains down to the sunny coast, it's got it all. Not to mention two of my personal favorites, great golf and amazing food. Come see why I love this place. Visit discoversouthcarolina.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to another BritFlix.com podcast. My name's Stuart Wright, and today's guest is screenwriter Matthew Darby. Welcome to the show. Oh, thank you. It's great to be here. Good man, good man. We're going to talk a bit about your film, Gone in the Night, directed by Eli Horowitz. Um, we'll talk a little bit about mm-hmm. how that collaboration worked. We're also going to, going to delve into three films that have impacted everything in your adult life after we've done that, which I'm excited to do, given the choices. And we'll get to that when we do. But first off, do you want to give people a brief synopsis to what Gone in the Night is all about? Yeah, sure. Uh, so um, it starts with a uh, a couple, and they are on a weekend getaway. Their relationship is on the rocks, and they're trying to kind of salvage things they get an Airbnb, they pull up to the Airbnb, and there's another couple already there. And so the story sort of unfolds from there, and it is a um, bit of a sort of puzzle box mystery. Um, and uh, it it uh, twists and turns from there. I don't want to te- I don't want to spoil. Uh, too much of what happens after that. Um, no, no, no. That's cool. That's a hell of a sell. So, in in writing that um, and working with Eli mm-hmm. on it, what was the kernel of the idea that sort of led to the film that people can see today? Where does it start for you? Yeah, yeah. So, uh, so Eli and I have collaborated on a bunch of different projects over the years, and um, he one one project that we that he collaborated with another writer on was, uh, the podcast homecoming, uh, which came out in, I think 2016, it was a really, uh, it, it kind of reinvigorated that, um, the scripted audio format and got a lot of attention. Eventually he became the showrunner for, uh, a, a TV version. Amazing uh, TV show. Amazing. TV um, show. Oh yeah. Yeah. I think it's, uh, I think it's fantastic. And so, um, so this production company, uh, Boulder Light Pictures, approached Eli uh, somewhere, you know, 2018, and they were like, "We love your stuff. Uh, we'd like to give you, uh, you know, this budget to make whatever you want." Oh, wow. uh, and Boulder Light. Uh, so Eli was like, "Oh, that's that's int- that's 
a great offer. Uh, and so Boulder Light had historically, um, they're a horror uh, production company. Um, and so that got, that sort of got Eli's uh, mind in, into the space of like, well, what, what could we do in, in the horror space? Uh, like, how could we make an interesting take on a, on a horror theme? Um, and so he, he hit me up cause I'm, I, I'm, I'm the person he goes to whenever he's got like, just a, he wants to just blue sky something. Cause I'm mm. always, I'm always ready to, to dive in. And so he had, um, there are these two concepts that he had. One was this idea of, uh, a double booking. Um, he, he, was renting an Airbnb at the time and had some strange experiences. And so he, that was sort of the initial kernel. And then, um, we had also been talking about, uh, uh, Peter Thiel, uh, that, uh, sort of eccentric tech billionaire who oh, was, um, using, uh, you know, uh, like paying uh 20 year old men to give their blood to him. So he could have these transfusions because he thought it was a sort of fountain of youth. And so, uh, so the movie was just like, we had these two poles, like these two <laughs> ideas and we're like, how do we fit these together? Um, and so, uh, so the, the process of, um, uh, of writing was, was like, starting with this idea of this couple pulling up to this Airbnb and then ending with, um, this kind of like vampire narrative or like a, you know, uh, what is a 21st century vampire? Probably like a tech billionaire who, you know, is, is like sucking the blood out of, uh, generation Z. So, and, and, and so in, you know, as we were sort of like, trying to make you know to like right toward the middle of these two poles we we sort of set you know we it you know it became this story about aging Mm. and the fear of aging and so we had um you know we we have these characters that represent uh like the four generations of like gen z millennial gen x and uh boomers and like how do they, uh, you know, like what are, how do their desires interact and, and create the, the forward motion of the story? So, you know, it became sort of, uh, you know, that's where we found the kind of like personal stakes in it as, okay. you know, as two, um, you know, creative people in our forties trying to deal with these, you know, questions of aging and, and permanence and mortality. And, uh, so yeah, that's, that, that's the kernel. So, so once, once that begins to unfold in front of you, what, what then became mm-hmm. the sort of main storytelling challenges in terms of executing that? Well, uh, it was the, it was really the timeline. Um, and so we, um, because it is a, um, it is a, it's a, it's a mystery that unfolds uh, through the perspectives of those characters. And so, you, uh, we were moving forward in time and then stopping and going back and looking at the events through another character's perspective. And, you know, I think we, we sort of entered into it thinking that this was going to be, uh, uh, you know, th- this was going to give us all kinds of freedom to, mm-hmm. you know, like breaking the linear timeline, but it actually became, you know, quite tricky, um, because, 
you know, you, you have to deal with, you know, not only like making sure that the stories link together and that the tension is, uh, you know, building, mm. uh, throughout the story, but you have to, you know, there's this sort of audience attention that we were recognizing as we were writing the drafts that like, you know, you had to keep, uh, you know, like the audience can only hold so much memory in its sort of Ram. Right. So, we had to, if we were breaking the timeline and going back, we had to, you know, develop these clear cues and markers in the storyline so that, uh, you know, so that an audience could could follow, could understand that, like, oh, now it's, you know, now it's three weeks earlier, and we are looking at it from the perspective of the, ah, right, you okay. know, the partner, the person who disappears. Yeah. Um. Yeah. Because. Yeah, so it was it was it was very tricky and and uh, required a lot of like, um, just uh, you know, drafting scenes and rearranging them on the the proverbial corkboard. I should also say that we're we live on opposite coasts of the state, so uh, I'm on the east coast and Eli's on the west coast, and okay. so we we actually never met in person <laughs> writing this um uh the whole story but one advantage of this time lapse is that uh like i get up at 4 30 in the morning that's when i do my writing and so um so i would get up draft a scene send it to eli he would wake up you know three hours later read it we'd uh you know like we'd get on the phone at noon my time which is like right after he's woken up and and given notes and feedback. And then I'd have the rest of the day to sort of iterate on that. So, um, so that we, we sort of like made the, the, the time zones work in our favor. Um, which was, you know, uh, the, yeah, no, that's it turned interesting. out yeah, to be a really I, efficient way to work. Yeah. Cause I interviewed, um, Lucas Dont, who's the, who's the Oscar nomination for Belgium, for the Belgian film close this year. And mm-hmm. oh, he, yeah. he he collaborates with a screenwriter. And what they do is they write the same scene each and then compare. So they discuss oh, what it's wow. going to be. And then they go off and write it themselves. And he said, he said he would write something with no, more or less the pattern was his would have no dialogue and his screenwriters would be uh-huh. full of dialogue. And it was kind of like <laughs> they, they'd marry the two. <laughs> that's incredible. Oh, that's such a, that's, that's, fa- that sounds so fun. Hmm. Too, to to like as a, just as a, like a creative exercise Absolutely. right to like write the same scene and then how do you enter you know there there must be like all these interesting ways you can interleave them yeah because because it's that thing cool. of like because we know that ideas are ten a penny and if you you know the story of yeah two people picking up finding a double book airbnb can go right. infinite amount of ways can it totally it's a great idea yeah. but it can yeah. go infinite amount of ways right. so therefore the idea of splitting the infinity on a on a scene like what would you do knowing yeah knowing full well what the execution's right. meant to be or the yeah. purpose yeah. of the scene yeah well yeah, look very cool i want to use that <laughs> you gotta okay. find someone to do the exercise with <laughs> yes exactly well look um thank you for sharing that it's always good to sort of get a get a hook get our heads around about how people's process works because i think one of the things that I definitely think I've learned through trying to find my own process is that it is your own process that works. There is an app. I mean, you can try obviously what you, what you've seen other people do, but ultimately 
the only one that's any good to you is the one you find that works and that and the more people enter right. me the more like like literally that that was a new one to yeah. me as well you know uh-huh uh-huh yeah yeah well look let us jump into Absolutely. uh three films right. that impacted everything in your adult life now before we do right. i'm just going to speak to the listener who might have joined this podcast for the first time and isn't aware of the format so you've given me three film titles that are part of the formative years of your life part of like what made you maybe pay attention to the form where you might have just been a this thing that would entertain you, and then suddenly you're like, hold on a minute, what's this? This thing that people keep putting in front of me. Um, or even like the memories of who you watched it with, where you watched it, how you got to watch it, those kind of things. Um, and what we'll do is, to make it fun, we're going to do it against the clock. So we'll have five minutes on each film, and then every five minutes when we hear this sound, you hear that okay at your end, Matt? Yep, yep. Good man. So when the when it's DEFCON one, that's when we move on to the next film. <laughs> Fantastic. So Fantastic. Uh, without further ado, I will I will I will prompt you with the title and then the clock will start and All then right. we'll talk about I'll I'll listen to what it is for you and we'll have a chat about it. Is that okay? Perfect. Perfect. Okay. Starting the clock on 1980s the elephant man. Yes. Okay, so, um, so, uh, I, you know, growing up, um, I was sort of on the cusp of the era where uh, VCRs were affordable for for families. So okay. This dates me, um, but before that, um, there was there was a there was an appliance store in our town on our main street that that rented this thing called a video disc player and video disc was this dead media format that was actually a phonograph record it predates laserdisc it was a phonograph record that had like super uh you know some some like in, in insanely sensitive stylus that could read these and they had like a cache of maybe like 50 films and so it was a big deal like on my birthday i got to rent this video disc player and so for my 6th grade birthday uh, I selected the double feature of the Elephant Man in 2001, which is wow. a real, real party, you know, like <laughs> real, uh, you know, a real party. Um, and so, um, you know, so, the, but these two films like completely, you know, blew open my, my, can I, can I just uh, take you like back to creative the, consciousness? Can I take you yeah. back to the 12 year old pick in those two films? Like, had yeah. you gone for them, I, or was the was the allure of the covers what got you in the when you were there? Yeah, that's it's a great question. I mean, I think I had heard about two thousand one, and I definitely, you know, I was into science fiction. We'll get into that a little a little bit more later. So I think I was there was an allure to that film, um, and then the Elephant Man. I, I think it was a it was a bit of an odd choice, but I had seen. Um, you know, I'd seen this clip from uh, on television of uh, you know John Merrick, the Elephant Man, like running through the sort of like uh, you know this uh, London underground, being chased by this mob, and he, you know, it's when he shouts, "I'm not an animal, mm. I'm a human being," and that it sort of terrified me, both because it was it was black and white, and it was this like disfigured human trying to like declare. Uh, you know, his humanity over this 
this crowd. There's just something really disturbing about it. And so um, that that just and, and, you know, the fact that it was a black and white film that came out in 1980, um, all of those, it just had this weird allure. And so um, so I watched it with my friends and, um, you know, it, and, and so I think what struck me, you know, like like I, I could talk about, you know, I think it, it is it is such a tightly structured film. Um, a classic, it, it, you know, it's a classic three act structure. Mm. It's beautifully scripted and, um, you could set a clock to the, the sort of like moments of transformation in the script. And, and it recently I did that. I like looked at every, you know, looked at the timeline of the film and, and like, you know, David Lynch is known for these like very bizarre. Yeah. It's the least uh, lynching, isn't know, it? Films the- that, yeah, exactly. And so, but the, you know, it's, that film is evidence that he... Hey, y'all, Darius Rucker here. You know, a lot of people ask me, what inspires your music? And one of the big things is a strong sense of place. That's why I love my home state of South Carolina and want to share the awesome things it has to offer. From the beautiful mountains down to the sunny coast, it's got it all. Not to mention two of my personal favorites, great golf and amazing food. Come see why I love this place. Visit discoversouthcarolina.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson Natural Boneless Chicken Breasts for two forty nine dollars a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today, or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. knew the language of film inherently, which enabled him to, you know, mess with it in, in, in later films. And so, um, so I think, you know, formally I was like, I, I was aware that I was in the presence of this like artistic creation, you know, and that was, that sort of like, um, got my, you know, like caught my creative attention. And, but then it's also, you know, it's like a deeply empathetic film. And I, you know, I think it's, um, you know, and, and it is about uh, at its core, you know, it's about what it means to be human. And mm. I think so as a, as a sort of like growing, you know, uh, sort of like trying to understand like where I fit in the world, you know, it, 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 it really impacted me, um, you know, as a human, as a, like a moral being and like, um, understanding this, uh, you know, this, this man who is like, um, you know, dis disfigured beyond recognition, but who had this, you know, human soul that was trying to get out. And, um, you know, and it's also, uh, this, you know, there, there's, there's the narrative of John Merrick, the elephant man. And then there's the narrative of, uh, you know, Treves, the doctor who, 
you know, at first tries to like save him and, you know, ends up recognizing that he's participating in the freak show. All right. Wow. That was five minutes, sir. Wow. That is, that is fast. That was faster <laughs> than I thought. I didn't even get to cover what I needed to. I'm going to have to be sharper for the next one. Well, do you want, is, is there anything? I want to win this. I want to win this, Stuart. <laughs> is there anything you, you want? Is there anything obvious you want to say that you want to show out before we move on in regards to Elephant Man? Um, no, I think, I think it would, I, I would, you know, that would just take another 10 minutes. So. Okay. Okay. Um, watch the movie. Go see it. It is incredible. It is. I, I, go, go see it in your living room. Get it for your twelfth birthday party for your kids. Yes, exactly. It is a it is a hit, a surefire hit. <laughs> right then, this was a curveball for me. This next choice, not one I was familiar mm-hmm. with. So, 1982's mm-hmm. The Atomic Cafe. Do you want to? You want to tell us what you're doing? I'm guessing renting this one. Yeah, no, this was actually, um, so, so, uh, so I was obsessed with, uh, nuclear Armageddon as a child of the eighties, you know, that it was, it was, you know, we, we just faced every day with this, uh, you know, existential uncertainty. Ten, and Matt, 10 you know, year old so- me asked my mother if we were going to have the bomb dropped on us. And she said, no, we're going to be all right. <laughs> <laughs> Well, that's, you know, that, that, that conversation is essentially, you know, what's at the core of this movie. So, um, you know, so I, uh, one of the other choices contenders for this that I was going to bring was the movie the day after, which, um, in America was this huge, the most watched event on television. Um, my parents forbid me to watch it. And so I found in the, in a dumpster, this black and white TV and like, secreted it up to my room to watch that um but so it was very difficult you know to to watch that but this movie the atomic cafe was sort of like on all the time it was one of those movies that they showed on cable mm. just like be i don't i don't know the licensing was cheap for it or something but i guess yeah because um, i guess for the audience who doesn't know it it's a it's a series of oh, 1940s yeah, and 50s info yeah. U- united states government in, information about the impending apocalypse yeah yeah (laughs) yeah exactly so it's it's you know it's this and it's so it's a it's a documentary uh provisionally and it yeah you're right it uses uh like army training films propaganda films and then newsreel footage uh that documents the the uh sort of advent of the atomic age and you know one of the things that i didn't recognize i didn't realize as a kid but you know in in terms of like my gr- my growing sort of like aesthetic sense, one of the things that that this documentary is known for is that they did not have a narrator's voice in this whole movie. It is it is all uh, composed ex- exclusively of this archival footage. So you get this impression of this like you you know you watch this footage of this hydrogen bomb being detonated and this entire village being completely decimated this sort of like model village and then right after that you see the uh like the duck and cover you know Mm. uh propaganda film which a lot of people may be familiar with but it was you know it it shows these sort of like uh you know cheerful school children 
sitting in class and then there's a white flash and then they all jump under their desks and you know there's this reassuring narrator saying that like all you have to do you know just duck and cover and you'll be safe from an atomic blast and so you know the disparity like the 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 sort of well the the you know the the junction of those two pieces of media this like you know archival footage of the actual effect of the the blast and then this like propaganda you know um this sort of fanciful propaganda about that experience is a way to like enforce government control like the, it it was the first you know it was like the first my first experience in like having insight into the fact that in, into you know like um the systemic forces that you know that control our lives and that are tr- that are working uh, over time to um to to sort of like build this society uh that is all about destruction you know behind the scenes i was just thinking matt and, as you're saying it can you imagine getting the brief in the 40s and 50s where somebody says hey matt can you uh, can you do us a bunch of propaganda right. videos that um basically say the atomic bomb isn't a threat to your safety that's what we need right <laughs> right yeah exactly yeah exactly and and you know and 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 you know there i think you know a a, a lot of americans you know just bought into that and felt felt secure and there's you know and so there there another uh, there's one moment in particular i want to try and get in before my 5 minutes are up where another thing that i saw for the first time was there's this newsreel footage of harry truman right after they've dropped the bomb on um nagasaki and and what the the documenter uh, documentary director did was to show you the footage before the newsreel started where Harry Truman is like just talking shit with the new, with the film crew and he's laughing. And then they're like, okay, start. And he immediately like his face falls and he, he's like, we have just dropped a bomb and ended the war. And you know, that, that like this recognition that the, you know, like the people in power were just, you know, yeah. they are just fucking around. They're just people like us. Uh, it was sort of like sobering and terrifying and, and really eye-opening. So, yeah, that's Absolutely. the that's the no, no, no. And it's and it's fascinating now because you kept saying the phrase "duck and cover." How that's now a clothing brand, <laughs> right? Yes, yeah. Which is kind of <laughs> mental when I think about. It, if I think too hard about totally. it, totally. The you know a phrase that would have put absolute. Would have horrified children growing up in in and parents in the forties fifties is now yeah. just casual wear for men. Yeah, a brand. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> right. Your final choice of your three films that have impacted right. everything adult life is something that it, right. for me speaks to like the 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 core of the VHS boom in my in my mind. You know, I this is this is VHS uh-huh. land if ever it was. 1985's Enemy Mind. Do you want to? Do you want to talk us through what this is in terms of your film life? Yeah. So, um, you know, so, so my, my fam- my brother and sisters were all like, we all grew up, we were weird kids. Like we didn't like sports. We did not, we were all like, just had our, you know, heads in books all the time and we're drawing on the floor. And my dad kind of, he didn't really know what to do with us. Like, I th- think he want, he, you know, secretly wanted us to all be into, uh, football and with and and so he was trying to connect with us and 
Um, the one like the one like point of connection with science fiction, uh, you know, he was a big sort of Star Trek fan. And so this was like the way he he could connect with us. He couldn't really, he didn't really do a lot otherwise. But so when I was, you know, a kid, he he saw this, you know, in the paper, he opened up the paper, there's this big ad for this movie Enemy Mine, which the poster for it has like Dennis Quaid facing off against this like fearsome looking reptilian yeah. uh, played by Louis Gossett Jr. And, you know, you're just, you're like, oh, this is going to be an epic space battle. So we go to this movie and we're sitting in the theater and, you know, it starts out that way. There's this sort of, you know, this, this detachment, uh, this fed, you know, the international space force detachment going to like battle these aliens. Dennis Quaid crashes. He, you know, comes into conflict with this, this alien that is, you know, an enemy of the human race. Then 20 minutes later, these two men are having are you know, are in this relationship and you find out that this alien, uh, the Louis Gossett Jr. character, like that race can reproduce without a mate. And so he becomes pregnant and gives birth to this baby. And, you know, Dennis Quaid is like the midwife (laughs) for this, for this birth. And so at the midpoint of this movie, you know, you're watching this very like tender, uh, like non-traditional family that that you know is created out of these two uh, you know people who are forced <laughs> into these circumstances beyond their control, and so I was completely blown away. Like it was not at all the movie that I went in expecting, and it was sort of the first time I saw this model, of, like this sort of like shattering of this weird like masculine trope that that you know I had become you know, comfortable with in, in watching science fiction movies. It was, you know, it was a very human story that was about this, you know, this family and, you know, the, uh, Louis Gossett Jr. character dies and then Dennis Quaid has to raise this kid on his own. And so, you know, you see him like trying to like become a father to this child on this weird alien world. And, you know, so watching it, rewatching it, I was like, okay, there, you know, some aspects of this movie have not aged particularly well, but I'm still kind of blown away by the the way that it told this very human story, uh, you know, using this, you know, like big space opera palette. And, and, you know, those are the kinds of, like, that's the kind of science fiction that I have always sort of like felt drawn to, like the sort of the silent running end of the spectrum yeah, yeah, where... Yeah. Um, you know, it's about like, how do we live in the future? And this, uh, you know, and that, that was like, I hadn't really been exposed to anything like that before enemy mind. So it just, you know, it, it blew up the possibilities of like, a like what, you know, like what a science fiction movie could be. And also like, you know, what a family could be and like what it means to be, uh, you know, like a man and like, it doesn't, you know, like, do do I have to follow these, um, you know, stereotypes that I'm being bombarded yeah, 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 with yeah, yeah, yeah. in the rest of my life? So, um, so yeah, it was just it was hugely impactful uh, for those reasons, you know. 
So, so that was kind of your, your, that was your sports game with your dad then, really. So that was just- <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, and and you know, and so th- there's that angle too, where like I'm sitting in this theater with my dad, who you know, we didn't really have. He was a really quiet guy. Like we didn't we didn't really interact that much. I'm sure we didn't we did not said a word about the movie. <laughs> like we came out of the theater and got <laughs> back into the family station wagon, completely silent. Like we never talked about what the movie meant, but it was, you know. That's our five minutes. It dawned on me actually, because I hadn't thought about it till obviously till you brought up on the list is that, um, and I saw this film long after I'd seen Enemy Mine, is you ever Mm -hmm. see the 68 movie, Hell in the Pacific? Where you've no. got the maroon, you've got a maroon Japanese soldier and a marooned American uh-huh, soldier, uh-huh. and it's like a, it's basically an oh, anti-war yeah. film, war film. Uh huh. So you yeah, get that, yeah, you yeah. get that kind of two people who were basically want to fight each other at first, and then eventually, because they're right. marooned on an island to yeah, survive, yeah. they have to. Oh, that's yeah. I have to check that out. That yes, yeah. it's a it's a glorious really film with uh, Lee Marvin. Oh, amazing! And with Lee Marvin being a very much a man's man of acting. It's, right. It, it's right. sort of play again, playing against the type of the kind of what totally. It, it starts off with the macho macho, but the pair of them end up having mm-hmm. to not be mm-hmm. because survival is not about who wins a fight. Right. 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 Exactly. Exactly. It's about this kind of interdependence and exactly. Um, you know, very much like uh, uh, which which you know, yeah it's very much about relenting power in, you know, to, to uplift community really. Indeed. Well, look, thank you very much for sharing your three films. Thank you for sharing a bit of the process that went into gone in the night. And it just gives me to say, thank you very much for joining us on the Brit Fix podcast. All right. Thank you, Stuart. This was awesome. Super fun. Hey y'all, Darius Rucker here. You know, a lot of people ask me, what inspires your music? And one of the big things is a strong sense of place. That's why I love my home state of South Carolina and want to share the awesome things it has to offer. From the beautiful mountains down to the sunny coast, it's got it all. Not to mention two of my personal favorites, great golf and amazing food. Come see why I love this place. Visit discoversouthcarolina.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.